Hello, my friends. This is the podcast that brings the wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. And that's Not Just Blowing Smoke. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to Not Just Blowing Smoke. That was Jeff Pitchell's Fat Cigar you were listening to, and that means it's time for the podcast to get going. You can find us on our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com. Follow us here on Facebook as well as on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. And please subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Pastor Padrone, and I'm here with my fellow co-hosts, Paul, Nick, and Dave. We have Bree and Kendra with us, and we have a legit Saka Squatch sighting here tonight. We got Steve Saka on the uh, show with us tonight. How's everybody doing? Very good, Pastor. Very good. Steve, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. And uh, I'm also really excited that uh, the cigar that we're smoking is uh, the brand new um, uh, Unstolen Valor, which is literally just hitting stores now. Steve, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's in this cigar and everything? You know, I actually would have to look that up because I didn't make the blend. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Let let me do that later on. All right. Um, I know it's all Nicaraguan, you know. um, Um, Yeah, I I believe it is all Nicaraguan, but I'm not not sure off the top of my head of the specifics of it. Okay. Um, I mean, Unstolen Valor is, uh, gosh. Boy, I'm a lively, I'm a lively guest, aren't I? <laughs> boy, oh boy! Take your time, Steve. Take your time. Sleepy Saka. <laughs> no rush. Some more, uh, some more. Yeah, drink. just take another drink. <laughs> All right, I watch the drink. So, yeah, Muester de Saka is the entire. It's one of my most confusing lines, and it causes me nothing but grief all of the time. Mm-hmm. The thing that I just seem unable to explain to con- retailers and consumers, or maybe I explain it to them, but they never remember it for more than like seven minutes. It's like everyone has the mind of a bunny. Um, <laughs> is that every single release of Muester de Saka is entirely different. Right. They've got no connectivity whatsoever from a cigar or a tobacco point of view. Mm-hmm. And what the common thread between them is part of what's the name. Muestra is the word that we use internally in a factory when we're working on sample blends and ligas. Mm-hmm. We call them muestras. Mm-hmm. And muestra de Saka means sample from Saka. Mm-hmm. And so what it is is it's kind of this line of cigars where I have the ability to play and do different things, but not having to really worry about making a whole brand. Right. You know, because when you make a whole brand, you know, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made as to whether, A, it's in your best interest, and, you know, whether you have enough tobacco to make it continuously, you need to make it smoke in a wide variety of sizes well, 
where with Melissa Dosaka, I can just focus on doing one thing, one cigar. And I all, and every single time it's always some sort of personal challenge or something that I don't like doing or something that I always wish I could do, but I never could do. And so like the very first one, the Exclusivo, that's made out of all tobaccos that are five years or older in age, Mm -hmm. which is normally a selling point for most people. But for me, it actually isn't. I don't tend to prefer working with tobacco. I just think I lose too much life, too much oil. And I tend to like to use most of my tobaccos somewhere between the one and two year mark rather than, which basically works out, yeah, about one to two years from the point that they're ready to go. So the tobaccos, if you're using that whole seed to smoke nonsense, yeah, most of them are two to three. But I don't tend to like working with older stuff. So that's what Exclusivo is about is to see, hey, could I make a blend using old tobacco or well-aged tobacco um, and that I would like? And then the second one was Naka Tamale. And Naka Tamale is a farm-style blend. There's only two tobaccos in the whole cigar. Mm. Uh, And, I mean, all of the filler comes from one tobacco from one farm. It's all from the same plant. There's one tobacco and all the filler at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was the way that cigars used to be made back in the, you know, the 50s and 60s. These uh, very complex brands that we have now that have five, six, seven tobaccos in them. That wasn't commonplace. Um, Cigars were much, much simpler. And that's the way Cuban cigars are even to this day. Mm. There's a crop that's certified as filler crop each year. And there's a crop that's certified as the wrapper binder crop each year. And Cuban cigars are comprised of these particular crops. So that's what Naka Tamale was about. The Now Leave Me the Hell Alone, which is the Lancero, is just because I don't like right. Lanceros. So <laughs> this question of can you even make a Lancero that's worth smoking or buying? And this particular one isn't actually a challenge to me. It was actually a challenge to someone that I work with. Mm. Uh, one of the factories that I produce cigars at is Nicaraguan American, Noxa. Mm. And mm. They're the ones that manufacture my Miquerita, my Umbagog, and some of my limited stuff that I've made over time. And the master maker there, his name is Raul Dizla. And mm-hmm. Raul Dizla is a very experienced cigar maker. He's He started working at a factory. Well, he started you know, sweeping and picking things up in a factory where his mother was actually a worker. And wow. His, and his brother is Esteban Dizla. And mm-hmm. Esteban Dizla is the guy that used to be the production manager over at STG in Nicaragua and now is the one that actually is the uh, general manager of uh, Skip Martin and Mike Rosales's uh, Roma Okay, crack, sure. Nico Sueño. And then Raul Dizla, he went on to work for Davidoff as a maker. And then he was like a demo roller internationally. He did pretty mm-hmm. much what Pin Garcia did, you know, travel the world yeah. and you know, show off making cigars. And and then at one point he was a demo roller in the United States mm-hmm. and he's worked in a bunch of different places. But the last place he was is he was the production manager at AJ Fernandez's factory in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And we ended up uh, bringing him over to Noxa to be the GM at Noxa from there. Mm-hmm. So Raul has never, to my knowledge, well, I know for a fact, he's never made a brand ever. Mm. He's never had a cigar that was a Raul Diesel cigar. So you have this guy that's been doing this for, you know, roughly 25, 26 years, 
And, you know, he runs a factory that, you know, is producing 60 to 80,000 cigars a day. Mm. Yet he never does anything that isn't at the request of a customer or a client or somebody like me that's saying, okay, this is my tobacco. This is the blend the way I want it done. This is how I want it done. And then he executes it. Right. So I about two years ago said to him, hey, Raul, I want you to make uh, I want you to make a blend for yourself. You know, make a make a cigar that you would want to smoke. And his first response to me was, "Okay, well, what do you want to be like? And I'm like, no, Raul, you're missing the point. What I want is I want you to just pick all your own materials, create your own blend with no input from anybody. Don't don't ask for anybody's opinions. You just do whatever you want to do. And to be honest with you. He kind of sucked <laughs> for like a whole year. He didn't do it. Mm. So every month, I mean, Nicaragua every month and ask, Hey, how are your blends coming along? Mm. How are your blends coming along? And after about a year, I'm like, okay, Raul, where are these blends that you're supposed to be making that I asked you to make? And he just kind of got sheepish with me. And then I just started busting his balls about like, well, I guess you really don't know how to make cigars. You really need a white fat guy from America <laughs> to come down here and tell you what to do. So I really started getting on him and he kind of took it a little personal. Yeah. And, uh, and then when he ended up doing the, you know, when I went down next, he had four blends for me and being, being Latino, and his name being Raul, he, of course, labeled them R-A-U-N-L because that's just the way he, they think. And, uh, and I smoked them. And I personally thought the U-blend was the best of the blends. All the blends were good blends. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, the U-blend was the one that I really liked. His personal preference was the blend that was labeled R. That's the blend that he thinks is the one that he thinks is the best and is the one that he would choose of the four for himself. So I then started saying, okay, Raul, you know, I think this is a really good cigar. I mean, look, nobody really knows who you are. I said, what do you think about if I use it for the Muester to Saka line? And that way I can, you know, kind of showcase you to people. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, it fits with the Muestra concept because it's a personal challenge. It just wasn't a personal challenge of myself in this case, but it was a personal challenge of you. And let's just see what people think of the cigar. I think it's something that's really, really good. And mm. at the same time, I'm not wasting the blend that you personally think is the best. You know, mm. you think the R blend is the best, and we can put that on the back burner. And if people like the U blend, well, then maybe it'll lead to something down the road where you can make a Raul Dieselist cigar, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not that, not meaning that I would end up actually selling it. I mean, sure. I don't own it. I mean, it's their factory. And so they could make whatever brand they want out of it, or I could help them make a brand and, and do whatever. But it, mm-hmm. this was just basically the concept. And when I was coming to naming the cigar, one of the things that's very common in our business, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Consumers want to know the guy, right. right? So what ends up happening is you, as somebody in our business, is almost kind of forced to like take credit for a lot of stuff that you maybe didn't actually do. You know what I mean? Right. And you get certain people that just take credit because that's just the way they are. Mm-hmm. 
the truth is there's no single brand in the marketplace that any one person did everything. You know what I mean? It's it, it's a lot of fingers in the pie. Right. Now, in some projects, there's less fingers in the pie. Sure. In bigger companies, there's a million fingers in the pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of thought, hey, you know, why not just so – there's a lot of, like, stolen valor that happens very commonly in our business, either because <laughs> of ego and also because that's what consumers want. They want a very right. simple story. The story mm-hmm. of team sounds like a good romantic story, mm-hmm. but it just don't sell. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, everybody <laughs> says, oh, you know, team, team, team. The reality is no. They want to say, no, I met Jonathan Drew. No, I met Rocky Patel. No, I met so- – you know what I mean? Right. So, um, so it's very common. So I thought, well, if that's the normal, why not call this brand Unstolen Valor? Mm. Because that way, you know, it's me giving credit – to Raul very publicly, mm-hmm. which normally is not what happens in our business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I thought the name was a little tongue in cheek, but yet I thought it made kind of sense with it. And so when, and, and honestly, I got to tell you, I may have totally screwed myself on this because I think it's an excellent cigar. And I can tell you already, people are going to say it's the best Midwestern Osaka that I've ever made. And I didn't make it. You know what yep. I mean? So all, all I did was, I'm just the guy that smoked and said, that one's the best one. That's the one that should be in the box. That was my entire contribution <laughs> to the project, coming up with the name of Unstolen Valor. And then the other thing that I did is I, of course, said to Raul that, okay, if we're going to do this, this is part of Moester de Saka. And all the cigars in Moester de Saka have to be just – it's it's. I don't know whether Sincompromiso or Mumuester de Saka are my flagship products, mm-hmm. but they're both at that very tippy-top oh. echelon tier. You know what I mean? They are not cheap cigars. They're mm-hmm. $15 to $20 style cigars. So I said to Raul, this can't be an $8, $9, $12 quality cigar. It's, it could be this blend, but you're going to have to really, you know, my style of construction, my style of quality control, my style of tobacco selection. You're going to have to really get this to my standards for me to be willing to put in a box, you know, because I'm going to be the one that, you know, I can tell the story a hundred times, but in the end, when it fails, I'm going to be the one that takes the brunt of it. Right. And when it succeeds, I'm going to get zero credit for it succeeding. So it's almost a lose-lose no matter what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> why not I, I i really and i think it's a cigar it tastes very different than my other cigars yes. because it isn't it isn't my work um mm-hmm. but at the same time i also think it's a cigar that people who like my style of blends are going to be really appreciative of i can see consumers of don barton tobacco and trust saying, wow, this was a really great cigar. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's definitely an interesting to tr- one to try and an interesting one to smoke. And the benefit, nobody is going to get it appears, is mm-hmm. they age beautifully. Mm-hmm. They just, I mean, taste so good when you allow them to have an extra eight, nine, ten months in the mm-hmm. humidor. But it seems to me like everyone's just going to smoke them immediately. <laughs> and uh, so no one's going to have the luxury of knowing what it tastes like with any age on it. But mm. look, we're already making more. We were absurdly oversold on yeah. the first and, uh, and we're making more and I'm actually oversold even on the second batch already. Wow. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing, but I, 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 it's just, 
I don't know. It's a hard cigar to describe. It's I find a lot of pepper notes in it, but none of them are biting sharp pepper. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of spicy little transitions in it. And I find that there's a little bit of like a, a bit of softness to it. And in the beginning, it's more kind of a, a medium plus kind of smoke, mm-hmm. but it really builds up in the back end. It gets mm-hmm. stronger as you get down to the last inch and a half of it. And I, I just think it's I think it's a really great smoke. Now, is the R better? According to Raul, R is better. He's just wrong. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll have that conversation when the time comes. Hopefully, hopefully, at some point, we'll be able to uh, sample the R as well and and give you our take on who's right. Kendra, we are drinking uh, Old Forester Rye with this, correct? That is correct. You want to tell us a little bit about this rye here? Sure. So this uh, Old Forester rye came out into the market in 2019. Um, Old Forester, though, that is a historical bourbon brand, um, one of the longest-running bourbon brands on the market, 150 years currently. Um, a lot of firsts came out of Old Forester, so some really interesting history with Old Forester. We love it here in the lounge. Um, we we previously had a 724 Old Forester, Old Forester. Um, it is now gone, and we're hoping to get another one at some point. But um, a little bit about the rye that we have tonight. I'm just going to share some tasting notes. Um, aroma. So you're going to get some brown sugar, some floral, and the taste. Uh, so like peppercorn, definitely some cinnamon. And the finish is nice dry. Still, that peppercorn is um, going to stay with you and the spice in the back. So um, with what Steve was just saying, it sounds like it's going to pair up really well with the it's going to yeah. complement with the peppercorn. Yeah, Paul, what do you think of the pairing right now? Yeah, so the the pairing is absolutely wonderful. That's my word tonight. Wonderful. Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I get the uh, lot of cinnamon spice, uh, some brown sugar, and a touch of citrus, uh, Kendra, with the uh, with the old Forster. With the cigar, uh, it's just been really, really enjoyable. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of spice, uh, some mild sweetness, uh, a lot of earthy wood tones. The p- pairing is bringing out more of those earthy wood tones. Just, uh, just really, really enjoyable. Nick, what about you? What's your take on things? Uh, the pairing is absolutely delicious. Uh, the bourbon is bringing out a really nice sweetness to the cigar. Um, really nice complexity, very well-balanced cigar, medium body. Construction is holding up wonderfully. I got a nice third of an ash on there, and it's not coming off anytime soon. Um, really nice earthy woody tones in there and a very nice light spice on the retro hill. Um, Bree, what about you? I'm really enjoying this pairing. Um, I was surprised by the cigar. Um, I was definitely expecting it, um, to be almost like too bold, but it's, um, it's actually perfect. I get like a little bit of spice off of the first hit when I first lit it up. Um, it's still holding up very well. I, I haven't had to relight at all. Um, 
I'm getting like a, almost like a very like smooth woodiness from it. And then um, the bourbon comes in and kind of adds like the pepper. So it's a lot right. smoother um, than I was expecting. And I kind of like that it's not too, too earthy. Um, it's like the perfect amount of earth and smoothness. Nice. Nice. Dave, yourself? Yeah, I'm getting, um, it's to me, it's very spicy in the retro hail. And I'm getting this, uh, like, earthy peppercorn in, in the taste in my mouth. I'm not sure if it's from the cigar or from the mix of the drink and the cigar together. Um, but uh, this can, my construction is pretty on point. I just asked. It was over an inch long. Um, but so far, this has been, like, absolutely superb, Steve. This is good stuff. It should really be happy. superb. How much is it a stick? It's like seventy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's I like mean, eighteen bucks. It better be yeah. dang near perfect. And that's and that's in a non-tax state, for God's sake. So no, yeah. true. Yeah, no, it's, it should be. It Glad should be I bought really two. <laughs> hey, I have a question for you. Why do you think it's a Nicaraguan pure? Did I write that somewhere, or did I say that? Well, uh, I went on, you know, trying to research this for my own notes. And according to Half Wheel, they have it down as wrapper binder filler off from Nicaragua. They don't specify any more than that, but that's what it says. Mm. So that's why I'm thinking, you know, uh, Half Half Wheel is one of and these. Like in Half Wheel would have gotten the information from me, but I, I think I made a mistake when I told him that. So mm. I, I want to I want to go back and look at it. I have a lot of different notes, and I want to make sure I have it right. Before I, All right. Before I before my challenge myself, I mean, it's definitely primarily Nicaraguan, but there there may be one other ingredient in it. And I just want to mm. double confirm. Okay. So, Steve, what's with the whole soccer squash thing? How how did how did that come about? Why do you want to be associated with the Bigfoot? Mm, it's not the way it worked. So. What happened was, so I used to be an exec consultant at a company called JR Cigar, which is in Whippany, New Jersey. Right. That's where the corporate headquarters was. Mm -hmm. And um, I never was willing to move to Jersey. So I had a corporate apartment there. Mm -hmm. So when I wasn't traveling to Central America or the Dominican Republic, I would go down there on a Monday from New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And then I would drive back on a Friday. And one Friday in the truck heading north, I realized that I had forgotten my cigars at the office. And I can't drive without smoking. It's like a seatbelt. I like literally freak out. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm right. The same so, way. and particularly when you're thinking that I'm going to be in this truck for five to six hours, yeah. there's just no way that's happening. And <laughs> so I did what everybody does. I picked up my phone and I Googled or Yelped and I figured out where the nearest cigar store was. And I got off at the, the exit and I went in the cigar store. And when I walked through the door, the owner said, Oh my God, Steve Sock is in my cigar store. It's like seeing Sasquatch, right? <laughs> and so I ended up buying a few cigars and just sitting there and, you know, talking with the guys that were in the shop with their regulars that hang out there on a Friday night. And then about once a month, I would stop there on my way back up and just hang out with the people that were the regulars. And they just started calling me in that one store, Sokka Squatch. Now, regretfully, that owner's passed away and the store is no longer there, but that's where the name came from. But it wasn't like some nickname that I made a big deal out of or shared with anyone. It was just a local thing in that one little store. Yeah. Fast forward 20 odd years, 
I have a good friend of mine. Um, his name's Jerry Smith. And what Jerry Smith does is he gets really cheap shit made in China. That's what Jerry <laughs> Smith does for a living, you know, and all sorts of crap. You know, it doesn't even matter what it is. But that's what he does. He's a he's a he's a facilitator. He's a you know he's a developer. He's a creator. He's a he's he's a guy that gets you need something made. What cheap China crap from China? He's a guy that you can go to. (laughs) And one of the things that he gets made is he gets bobbleheads made for like Major League Baseball. And one day he calls me and says, "Hey Steve, could you send me a picture of your head? (laughs) I need a picture from the front. I need a picture from the side. I need a picture from three quarters." I'm like, why do you need a fucking picture of my head, Jerry? And it's like, well, I want to get a custom bobblehead made of you as a gift. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to get him make it with a cigar in its mouth. He says, it's going to be really cool. You know, and I'm like, Jerry, I don't want a bobblehead of me. I've already got a pumpkin of a head. Why, why do I need a bobblehead? Right? And, and he's like, no, no, it's going to be really neat. And I'm like, Jerry, I don't want a goddamn bobblehead, man. It's stupid. I don't want it. And he's like, why do you got to be a dick about everything, Sock? I'm trying to give you a gift. I'm trying to make something special because you're my friend and I want to thank you. And I'm like, Jerry, I just don't want a bobblehead. And I said, you know what? Do you think they could make a, a, a statue of a Sasquatch smoking a cigar? And he goes, I don't know. I can ask them. And I said, <laughs> okay, you know what, Jerry? That would be kind of cool. You know, and I was thinking about this Sasquatch thing. Sure. Was, yeah. You know, and I just thought I was going to get, you know, if I got one – it was going to go up on my shelf of shame. I got a shelf. It's got all this weird crap on it. Yeah. And go get put up there. So anyways, Jerry made or had the Chinese make that statue that I see mm. in the pictures there. And um, when I, and he met me at leaf cigar bar and restaurant mm-hmm. and um, which is famous smoke shop. That's their bar store thing. And uh, I had a meeting there at famous and it ended up that, uh, he, he, can't, he met me there and he gave that thing to me and I got it and I was like, wow, Jerry, this is really nice. I was actually blown away mm. by how nice it was. It was like way better than I ever could have imagined, okay? <laughs> so I said, you know, I was thankful, blah, blah, blah. I set it on the bar. Next thing I know, the owner from Famous Smoke Shop comes through and he sees it on the bar and he looks at this thing and he picks it up and he starts laughing. And he's like, and the thing is, if you don't know this guy, he never laughs at anything. Okay. And he was like, this is brilliant. Right. He's like, how can I get these? I could give these away with every box. You know what I mean? And of course, the first thing out of my mouth is, well, you can, it was a gift, but Jerry, he makes cheap shit in China and sells it. That's what Jerry does. So he just walked right over me. And next thing I knew he cut a deal with that guy for 500 of these statues. (laughs) <laughs> and because of the price that that guy was making, and Jerry's my friend, I got 500 more for free. Yeah. So cheers to that. <laughs> right. So basically, a famous render deal where if you bought a box, you got one of those. Mm-hmm. And when he got through his 500, I then just started using them. Uh oh. That'll be that. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, uh, I'm in my. I think I've gone through nearly 4,000, 5,000 of those things. Wow. It is crazy how many times I have reordered Sokka squatches. You're um, making bigger ones now, right? Yeah, because what I had is I had retailers buying the one. There's a, there's a, there's a Sasquatch statue that one of the garden gnome companies makes, mm-hmm. and they were drilling holes in it and putting cigars in its mouth, you know, and making them as – 
a POS display in their store. Like, yeah. well, that one isn't even branded. So in order to do this, let me make one that actually has the name of the company on it, you know? So um, they have been wildly popular. They are completely worthless. They do absolutely nothing. Um, but there's just something weirdly neat about them. Uh, it's hard not to smile when you see it. And for me, look, you get all sorts of cheap crap when you buy cigars. Right. Nobody needs another bad hat. Nobody needs another dull cutter. Nobody needs another lighter that's going to work for a week. So nobody needs a sock of squatch either. Okay. <laughs> but it's different. It's different you know what than I mean? everything it's else. Different. Yeah. And so, you know, people put them on their desk. And then the benefit to me is because it does actually look so cool. Tons of people post pictures of them online. Right. So I get a ton of like free social media marketing mm. out of these dopey little statues. Yep. Um, it, but I, I wish I could tell you it was some sort of like masterful stroke of marketing, but it really honestly wasn't. It's just one of these weird things that friend made me something really crappy. And next thing I know, everybody wants it, you know, and, uh, and that's just kind of where it came from. Now, awesome. you know, you didn't move down to New Jersey to, to be part of JR's down there. You've, you've stayed in New Hampshire. What's, yeah, what's, they have what's terrible gun laws in New Jersey. What's yes, they tax, do. Taxes are ridiculous. No way. Taxes are ridiculous too. But what's, what's kept you from, you know, moving down to like Miami or something where a lot of other cigar companies are, what, what keeps you in New Hampshire? No, I, I did move to Miami when I took the president position at Drew Estate. Yeah, but I, you're here now. To, what did you move back for? Because my wife abandoned me. She hated my <laughs> She was like, this place sucks. I'm going back to New Hampshire. I'm going to buy a house. And when you're done screwing around, come up and see me. And uh, so for about a year and a half, I tried to do the run the factory in Nicaragua, be in the office in Miami. I mean, it, it wasn't like I was the sale, I was president of the company. Right. So I was, I mean, it wasn't, a, and it wasn't like it was a stable company. It was a crazy company. So, you know, a short week was an 85 hour work week. And now I had my wife living in New Hampshire and it just wasn't practical. Mm. So I tried to do it for a year and a half. I took a corporate apartment down there. But in the end, I just I just couldn't do it anymore, and I, I ended up making the foolish decision of staying with my wife, and uh, and, and left a great gig. So, <laughs> and now I'm here, freezing my ass off. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not that. Hey, it's not that cold right now. No, not right today. now, but you know, but I'm I mean, I'm with Steve. Around. I'd go back to Florida. New Hampshire's a great state to live in. Terrible state to be actually a real cigar manufacturer in. Yeah. I mean, I have to go to Nicaragua every month normally. COVID's ruined that. I have to go to Mexico and the Dominican and Ecuador and Brazil. And, I mean, you just couldn't get any more difficult. I guess I could live in Hawaii or Alaska if I really wanted to make my life a perfect hell. But, I mean, it's not, it's not the ideal place no. to actually do what I do for a living. Mm. But... It is the place that, uh, and look, I can't, I can't blame my wife because, look, Miami did suck. I mean, I, I just, and everyone that everyone that lives in Miami hates me for saying it, but Miami sucks. Great place to go on vacation. <laughs> Spend a week or two, you'll have a blast. But living in that city is really, it's a sucky city to live in. 
Um, everything, I have a good friend from uh, the Netherlands, and the way she describes it is everything in Miami is plastic fantastic. Everybody's <laughs> just showing off. Everything's about what car they drive, what watch they wear, how big their wife's breast jobs are. It's just, it's also, <laughs> it's basically, it's basically Hollywood, but with a, but with the Spanish accent, you know what I mean? It's that same kind of just showboat kind of environment. Mm. Um, it's a difficult city to drive in. It's a difficult city. Everybody is a little bit sketchy. Everyone's a little on the take. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just, it's a weird. So like we moved, we moved six times in six years. Wow. Trying That's to find some place that we would like. Mm. Um, and it's just, it was impossible. We, we, I mean, it was just nothing ever seemed to fit. So, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't miss Miami at all. I really mm. don't. All right. So you're back in New Hampshire. You start Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. What are, what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome to get that new company off the ground, Steve? Mm, I don't know about challenges. I think the biggest challenge is that I just don't have the energy or the vigor I had when I was young because so the first company in nine in the late eighties, I started from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the next company that I went to, I mean, it was already a, you know, $400 million plus a year company mm -hmm. and tons of infrastructure there. And then even when I went to Drew State, as much as a shit show as that was when I got there, there was still already, you know, 250, 270 employees, mm. you know, just, just, just needed some, just needed a little bit of trimming and efficiency and, you know, you know, put some standards and practices in place. Right. But it wasn't the same. Doing this from total scratch, I, I, I really had forgotten how much work it was to go from complete scratch and I also, I gotten spoiled. I mean, I've had a lot of minions over the last 20 years and I really miss minions. I really do. You know, people where you could say something and give them kind of the marching orders and directions and they would just go and execute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas now it's like everything. I have to do everything ourselves. There's just, mm -hmm. there's nobody to do anything. Even getting stupid soccer squatches made. That's <laughs> me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. Every single band, I have to design it. Every single ad, every single bit of copy, all the prices, all the tobacco purchasing, all the blending. I mean, it's just the amount of work there is, is just endless. Mm. It's crazy. And I really, I really, A, underestimated it. And B, I really overestimated what I'm personally capable of doing anymore. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't have the youth and the vigor that I used to have. And I don't even think I'm as smart as I used to be. I used to be a lot quicker on the uptake. And I, I, I look, I'm wiser and I'm more experienced, but I, I don't think I'm as sharp as I was 20 years ago. I, I think, I think, I think my synapses were firing a lot quicker 20 years ago than they are now. Oh, the $5,000 of booze that you've had in the, in the last 60 days may have something to do with that. I'm, I'm not sure, Steve. Thank God pot isn't legal for recreational in New Hampshire. I'd be yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that being said, what do you think your, your biggest strengths are right now? 
Mm. My biggest strengths. Your biggest strengths for the business right now. Experience? Well, obviously, experience makes a difference. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've seen so much and done so much, and I've had the benefit of being at much larger companies. Mm. Um, that's, you know, and like when you're, when I was at JR, you know, we were constantly running deals. In any given month, there were 50 different promotions. Right. And you really start to understand what makes consumers react and how they react to things. And you basically have 50 test cases every single month. You know, so you kind of learn what they like, what they don't like, what makes them feel warm and fuzzy, which makes them willing to buy, what makes them willing to look at something as though it deserves more respect than something else. So there's a tremendous education in that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have the odd advantage of most people in our business come from like one particular thing. They're a tobacco guy or they're right. a factory guy or they're a marketer guy or they're a sales guy. I have had the luxury of being involved in everything mm -hmm. and I'm not necessarily the best at any of it, but actually understand how it's interconnected and how it works definitely gives me a tremendous advantage. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think gives me an advantage is I just don't look at customers like their wallets. I mean, I really try to make a superior product. And, you know, one of the basic criteria I always use is, okay, so a molester to Saka costs $17.95 in a coffin. Would I spend $17.95 for this cigar? Would I take, would I open up my wallet and actually buy a box of Mickey Rita? Would I buy a box of Sober Mesa Brulee? And if I can't honestly say yes, then why am I trying to sell it to somebody? Mm. You know what I mean? So, you know, kind of using, you know, that standard, and, you know, and I'm, I'm a bit of a dick. I'm really picky about everything. <laughs> I'm super critical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have, I have great attention to detail. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a great planner. Um, weaknesses? I'm not really particularly good at the whole dog and pony sales pitch thing. Mm. But I seem to have found a way, knowing that I'm not good at that, to make how I am work to my advantage. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, my bluntness sometimes turns a lot of people off, but when they realize that I'm just always this way and it's not like, oh, I'm just trying to be a dick. They kind of, <laughs> they kind of look at it a little different and you know what, and being a, and that's the difference. There's a difference between being critical and judgmental and having high expectations, but at the same time, also being fair and reasonable versus just being a dick you know what i mean there is definitely a difference between the two and um, and i think if you talk to most people that have worked for me over the years and people that i fired even people i fired have said i was the best boss they ever had i don't i don't know what the hell they're thinking but you know <laughs> I mean, you fire the guy and he still thinks you're the best guy he ever worked for i mean it's and the thing is i'm actually i'm difficult to work for mm. i am i'm very demanding but I'm not demanding in a way of anything that I wouldn't expect of myself. And I'm not unreasonably so. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing is, and I think that's the other thing is, as critical as I am, I'm definitely the most critical of myself. 
Mm-hmm. I'm way more critical of my work, what I'm doing, how I did something, how I'm not doing something. I mean, you always you always feel like a you, know, you always feel a little bit like a failure, you know. So that's definitely a driving thing. Mm. I mean, I I don't I don't know why the hell does anyone buy anything? Who knows? I, I couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> how has these last couple of months dealing with this COVID nineteen stuff and social distancing and factories having to shut down stores having to shut down how have you had to adjust your um, business practice practices and how you operate in order to keep going in this um, in this time well oddly enough i mean for a lot of companies they decide to go a very deep discount route to try to maintain sales right and you did not i did not and the, and i'll tell you why i didn't the reason I didn't is because it doesn't make sense to me as a retailer to buy something because it's cheap when you're closed, you know what I mean? Or when business is bad. So logically it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's already a thin margin business and I'm going to mm. make the situation even worse. So it seemed to me that, and this has kind of been the philosophy of the company from the beginning we're not really all that aggressive with sales. I mean, look, we have our very first New England rep in five years, mm. okay? It's taken us five years to finally hire a guy to actually sell cigars mm. in New England. I've kind of just taken this kind of more organic approach to things. And I've taken that approach because I understand that my products are a hand sell. Well, yeah, cigar geeks know who I am. The average consumer has no clue. They never will know. And even if they do, they don't give a flip. You know what I mean? And and then that's something that people lose track of. So in the end, the product has to live or die on its own. And it has to build demand. And the way it builds demand is by it being really good. Yeah, you can really sell, you can really sales team it out and you can really market the crap out of it, but how many times have we seen that and it gets hot for a little bit and then it just goes away and it dies and there's no value in that. The only way in our business that you make money is when you get a product that people are willing to add to their rotation, buy it on a regular basis, recommend it religiously to their friends or regularly to their friends, I should say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't buy that, you know? It's something that just ends up happening or it doesn't end up happening. So I kind of took the same approach to this COVID situation. I didn't really freak out. And and I think if you were to ask retailers, I was talking to one today, I mean, they've been getting tons of sales calls. And look, we reached out to our retailers, but we just really haven't been uber aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, and I was telling you guys before we started, we're, we're having a fantastic month. Right, And we, we took a hit in March. We took a little bit of a hit in April, but not significantly so. And um, our sales are significantly up. And, yeah, they're up with the online guys, but they're not crazy up with the online guys because I wasn't willing to extend the deals that they wanted. And I don't blame them, I mean, for saying, hey, you know, I'll give you X if you give me Y. It's perfectly within their prerogative, but I just simply said, guys, I can't do it. And it turned out to be a really good choice for me. Um, 
it's been a very difficult from the logistics side. Shipping has been a real problem. Everything is very slow to go into NECA, and everything seems to be slower even coming out of NECA. So that's kind of put a, a kink in things. Um, the other place that I'm really running into problems right now specifically is with packaging. Um, packaging is a real problem. I have stuff that I desperately need. And even though I ordered it back in January and it would have all been delivered at the end of March, they're all closed. And then the guy, this printer opens, but then he can't get the gold powder because the powder manufacturer's down. Oh, he can finally find the powder in another place. And he's able to buy it, you know, gray market from that guy. But now he can't get the paper because the paper guy is down. So yeah. I'm going to run into a scenario that if sales continue the way they are now, I'm going to run out of packaging for like Sober Mesa. Mm. Now, I'm hoping I have enough in inventory. I'm hoping I have enough. But the truth is, best case scenario is I'm going to get it 90 to 120 days later than what I should have gotten it. And, you know, that's something I can't do anything about. So even though I have cigars ready made to go, mm -hmm. I won't necessarily have vistas and seals to put them in the boxes. And I know the consumer listening to this goes, well, who cares about the box? Just put it in a bundle. But that's just not the reality of how this works. You right. know what I mean? If we could put everything in bundles and it would sell the same, we would love to do that because for us, Packaging is a total sunk cost. It's a pain in the ass. It requires you buying things from all over the world and getting them all dumped into a third world country. I mean, it's a nightmare <laughs> what goes into packaging cigars. So yeah. if we could get away with not using packages and doing fancy boxes, we would love to not do them. But the yeah. reality is people are just unwilling to pay what the product costs if you don't present it in a way that is – equitable with what the product actually is yeah um the other thing that i'm you know the other on the on the flip side it's been great not traveling as much sure. but it sucks not being able to go to nicaragua i mean because normally i'm there every month and i haven't been able to go there march april may and now the first date that i might be allowed to go is june 1st but I don't think that that's even going to hold true because I was supposed right. to be allowed to go on May 1st. And the Nicaraguan government announced on May 1st they weren't allowing anybody that was non-Nicaraguan to the country. Mm -hmm. So I don't know when I'm going to get back there again, mm -hmm. which is causing a problem. It's causing two problems. One problem it's causing is for all the new developmental stuff right. that I was in the middle of because none of those projects are moving forward. And it hasn't caused a major problem yet in quality control. But the thing is, no matter how good your partners are, they need to be yelled at on a regular basis. <laughs> you know what I mean? You need to go there and look and go through these things over and over again. And, and that's really what ends up happening when I'm there every month. It's not that they need me to make cigars. No, they know what they're supposed to do. Mm. The blends are done. Everything's done. The way we make them's done. Everyone's trained. Everyone knows what their jobs are. But the reality is if you don't go and do oversight and quality checks and point out these little minor things, those little minor things, they start to stack up. And you get right. a year down the road, that it was just a year ago because you're not actively engaging. So I'm starting to find this. I'm, st I'm, not, I'm not uneasy yet, but, man, mm -hmm. if I can go to Nicaragua for another three months – I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have some real problems because look I I can't compete on price. All mm -hmm. the big factories have all the advantages there. Right. I can't compete on sales team. 
and I can't compete in marketing dollars. So the only place that I can compete is on the quality of the product. That's the mm -hmm. only place that the playing field is level where I can make just as good or better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So for me, if I'm not able to maintain that, then that's a real problem for a company like me, you know, because that is the only place that I actually can compete head to head. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the other thing that has been kind of good about this is I've had crap on my to-do list from last summer <laughs> and I've been banging some of that stuff off it. And that's really sweet. You know, to get things, I mean, just crazy. You have no idea how it stacks up. So I, I have literally, I went, I had at one point coming into this year from last year, I still had 326 things on my to-do list. <laughs> 326 coming into year 2020. I've gotten 200 of those suckers off the list. It's amazing. And some of them are such minor little stupid things, but you know what I mean? 10 minutes here, 30 minutes there, an hour there, four hours there. You know, it really adds up. So that part's been mm -hmm. really cool to see the to-do list kind of shrink a little bit. That what, are some like. of, what are some of those 300 and something things you had on your list for, sure. for a year? Yeah, sure. Um, you actually have a list of 300 something things? Yeah, like I, have a, I have a list that I use. I mean, how else are you supposed to keep track of that much? I mean, I'm smart, <laughs> but I'm not that smart. I mean, okay, so for example, I need to take all my UPC codes and put them in a single one file database, and I need to rescale them all for the new printer that I've been working with. Because what's happened is originally I was using a different printer for the UPC stickers, mm -hmm. and then I switched in the middle. But some of my stickers are not of the proper format. So what I've been doing is every single time I need to reprint stickers on a one-by-one -one basis, I've been taking the hour it takes per sticker to adjust that one design, that one AI file to send to the printer. So it's been on my to-do list to just at one point sit down and get them all to the proper size. Stupid little thing. But it literally it took me about took me about forty hours, mm. you know, to do that. And, and when do you have forty hours to do crap like that? Right. Well, you know, when you have forty hours, you have forty hours when you start watching reruns on Netflix. You have forty <laughs> hours when you're draining bottles of bourbon. You know what I mean? You have forty yeah. hours when you when you're, you're, that. you're on your one hundredth Zoom chat. You know, so <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's simple things like that. You know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's you know and some of the tasks are some of the tasks are egregiously small. Like I have this file that's called pics by others that are just like really great photos right. that other people have taken, but I I didn't know who a lot of them were from. So I wanted to try to figure out well who's who actually owns this photo, who took this picture. You know, I took the time to take a screenshot of it, but I didn't take the time to rename the file to the name of who was the creator of the file. Right. Dopey little stupid stuff like that, you know, to prepare a better we have a material inventory, something I did today. I have a material inventory list that we use that I get monthly updates on what are the packaging material levels at the factory. Right. But the problem is the one that comes from the Hoyda Nicaragua factory is in a different format than the one that comes from the Nicaraguan American factory. Mm. So what ends up happening is I can't have the files combined in a way that I can use in one common spreadsheet model to figure out what my min maxes are. So I wanted to take their file format and the other file format and merge them together. So now that I have one common file format, 
You know what I mean? That yeah. will make things easier in, in the long run. So it's a lot of stupid tasks like that. That's going to save a lot of time in the long run. Well, that's what you're hoping it's going to do. Right. But Unless you I mean, buy a new printer. Right. Unless I unless I get a new printer. Yeah, if I if I hire a different printer, I'm I'm from scratch again. And this goes back to the minions conversation because before yeah. it wouldn't have mattered. There would have been some dude that that's what his job was was to worry about the pre-pressed files for UPC stickers. You know? And I don't and that's like the silly things that, you know, consumers don't think about. UPC stickers are actually a real pain in the neck to do. Mm. You know? And uh but at the same time, you really have to do them, in my opinion. I, I don't understand manufacturers that don't do them. Yeah. Because what ends up happening is you send them to the retailers and then they gotta pick every single cigar out of the box and they gotta you know, they gotta finger caress to use the more politer term, you know, every single cigar and then, you know, and then put a sticker on it and how many cigars get damaged and they never put them back in the box anywhere near as attractive as how they started in the box. Yeah. Girls in Nicaragua. So, you know, it doesn't make any sense to put that burden on the retailers. In my mm. opinion, it makes my product actually look worse on the shelf. Mm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, and we've touched on it a little bit, but can you can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the blessings and challenges of owning and running a business with your wife, Cindy? Mm, this is a bad day asking that question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you really, you just couldn't have picked the worst day for that question. <laughs> that's that's my I mean, job. <laughs> You're welcome, Steve. <laughs> if if Cindy wasn't part of the business, I would close the business. Mm. I mean, that's how integral she is. I mean, no, no, she's not doing any of the cigar stuff, and she's not doing any of the product creation or any of those things. But the day in, day out, the handling of the office, the handling of sales, the handling of the warehouse, all the things associated with customer relations for between us and who the retailers that's all handled by Cindy and her team. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the bookkeeping for all I know, she has 6 million in an offshore account. I honestly wouldn't know. I mean, cause she handles all of the money. Um, so, I mean, she's, she's an integral part of the business, mm -hmm. but uh, so, and, 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 and we have very, very, defined responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a whole lot of overlap other than me complaining that she isn't doing something right. I'm very good at that. <laughs> so, uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, she's, uh, so like, for example, like, you know, when I'm in New Hampshire, I'm never in the office. Mm. I don't go there. Um, I, I actually think I would be in their way. I think uh, I think it would make their jobs more difficult for me to actually be there, you know. And the other thing too is our office is non-smoking because of the building that it's located in. Mm. And I'm I'm not going to a building I can't smoke in. That's craziness. <laughs> so, um, so I really, yeah, no, there's no point in it. So uh, <laughs> I primarily when I'm in New Hampshire, I'm primarily working out of I have a. I live in a very nice house and we have like this, um, I don't know what you call it, a 
an in-law quarters and a three-car garage and there's a space above the three-car garage that has a full living area it has a bathroom it has a bedroom and i pretty much it has a even has a little kind of like kitchen with a real stove and oven and refrigerator and i and i work out of this space um you know so we don't really we, we kind of have our own things that we do mm. now last week we had kurt on the show and one of the things he shared with us, I had to have like 30 freaking questions for the guy to make sure that he actually spoke for more than 20 minutes. You know, I come up with five or six questions and you're going to talk for like an hour and a half. But for Kurt, <laughs> you know, it was like he talked more on last week's show than I've heard him talk in the last year. All right. So but one of the one of the things that he shared last week was how a miscommunication about making a shaggy foot laundress ended up into create it ended up being what ended up creating the dog walker cigar for him. Have you ever had sure. any kind of mess up or miscommunication that you you know, something like that, where you were able to turn it around yeah. to your to your benefit with what well, you're doing. Uh, I mean, in the blend, the blend on the thick Lonsdale Todos Las Dias is not exactly the same as the other blends. Mm -hmm. They the factory made the wrong blend for that cigar. I had two final tweaked versions, mm -hmm. and I decided that I wanted A, and they made B, and it got delivered, and I started smoking. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? These are all wrong. And it turns out I actually like it better in hindsight. Mm. But I mean, so that, you know, that's, you know, so that happened. Um, I had, <laughs> so you know, sticking just in what I'm currently working on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of screwed the pooch on the original firecracker for two guys. I, mm. I didn't understand a, I didn't make a closed foot cigar, which I was supposed to, I didn't know if that was something I was supposed to do. I knew about the stupid long pigtail thing I was supposed to do. <laughs> and then the other thing I didn't know is I didn't know that I was just supposed to take the existing blend and just make it in the firecracker size with the, with the extra long pigtail. Mm -hmm. So I went out of my way and made a, a different version of the Mickey Rita blend to be a little stronger and a little more powerful because that just is what made sense to me. It's called firecracker. So firecracker right. should go boom. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I changed the blend and I wasn't supposed to change the blend. I was supposed to leave it exactly the same, just make it in the firecracker format. Mm -hmm. But that turned out to be a good mistake because it, you know, it led to the release of Tricky Traka. Which is a great so cigar. I mean, so you know, so that worked out to my advantage. Um, have I made any mistakes that have cost me? I know I must have, but I can't think of any cigar related. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah, you know. Normally, look. I mean, I, even when I, even when I make something bad, my bad is still pretty damn good. You know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't make crap. You know, um, so it's not like it's not like things go completely off the rails. Mm. You know, it's little minor thises and thats, and you know, and a lot of times, I, I agonize over. 
that I don't think that 99.5% of the consumers would ever even notice yeah. and tell. I mean, I think that most people that smoke a Mikay Rita and an Omega, I think most of them can't tell the difference between the blends. Mm. You know? Well, let me ask you another question here. Do you think uh, you might ever collaborate a project with Kurt and 724, two New Hampshire-based companies Ooh. working yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, stop, stop, stop with this song and dance here. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. Kurt's watching. He wants Kurt to know. Actually, yeah, it's okay. I know. I'm gonna tell you. Kurt kind of did it. Kurt kind of Kurt did kind of this Jewish mother's guilt thing on me. Okay. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. You know. I did firecracker for Dave, right? Right. And Dave sold 500 boxes like in three days. Right. And then the year after that, I did like another 500 boxes for Dave, mm -hmm. which he sold like in a week. Mm -hmm. And Kurt kind of made this statement. He goes, no, Dave isn't the only retailer in New Hampshire. Ooh. <laughs> it's kind of what he said, you know? Yeah. Like, no, Dave isn't the only retailer in New Hampshire. And the thing I had to explain that I explained to Kurt, I'm just going to explain it out loud. I choose to do these special projects. They're not really about sales. They're really more about marketing because, look, it's only 500 boxes. It's only 250 boxes. Uh, this company is not going to live or die on these products. Right. Okay. I'm not. I'm not shooting for that model that some small companies are in. So for me, the projects have to have more to them than just, oh, here's an easy way to sell 250 or 500 boxes of expensive cigars. And for me, it's the marketing angle of getting my name out there, getting the retailer. So for me, the retailers that are the loudest are the ones that are the best. And that's why if you look, I've done projects with Dave. I've done a project with Abe at, at Smoke In, you know, Red Meat Lovers. I do special sizes in Compromiso for Jeff at Corona Cigar. I'm choosing these places because I know that they're going to give me a lot of marketing. And as you said, you had to prepare how many questions for Kurt? Yeah, Kurt's 30. a great guy, and he runs a great business, but he's not hes not like the bullhorn kind of guy. It's not his personality, right? Right. It's just simply not. Um, so it makes it – it doesn't make Kurt for me a good fit where somebody like crazy Ronnie at Secreto Cigar Bar in, you know, Michigan, who, who is not, I mean, Kurt's a way better customer than Ronnie is, okay? <laughs> but Ronnie's like a fucking chihuahua. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> relentless. Okay. I, and, and then when you're a small company like mine, you 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 need that. It helps a lot because right. it doesn't just sell at Don Derma. It exposes people to my name, which then makes them go into another store and ask, do you have any cigars made by this Saka guy? You know what I mean? There's a there's a spillover effect. It's not just selling. 250 special somethings. Right. Um, so when I, and the other thing too about those projects is I have to be very careful with them because most companies treat those like they're easy money, but I, I actually treat them like they're tremendous risk. Mm. I know that my most loyal customers are going to be the ones that go out of their way 
to buy something like frog juice from Riverside Cigars, mm -hmm. okay, who would never, ever buy from that guy at Riverside Cigars ever. And the only reason they're doing it is because it's got my name on it, and they're expecting it to be great. So it has to be really great. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you don't want to disappoint the guys who are going out of their way to get these special products. So I put a lot of time into them. So I'm not making a lot of money because it's so small to begin with. I'm making even less money because I'm putting a lot of time into it because it needs to be really special so I don't disappoint my most loyal guys. So I need the marketing end of it to be great. And I can't do that. I need the retailer to do that. Hmm. And so for me, as much as I love Kurt, he's not really the best guy for that kind of project, you know, and as much as Twin Smoke Shop is a great store. Now, let me say this, though. Kurt's my friend. So what I proposed to him is I said, would you be okay if maybe I take a special size for your 724? Just once you in a particular size that you could sell all the time. I'd be happy to put my name on it if you want my name on it. You know what I mean? Because that's his brand that he owns. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So right. that's something where Kurt is obviously going to be a much better marketer of right. 724. And it's a way for me to do something. And it's actually one of my things that's I to do list that has sadly been waylaid because I'm not able to go to Nicaragua because, you know, it has to be really, really special. Now, whether it'll come to fruition, I don't know. We've had a casual conversation. We have both agreed to the in concept, but we haven't gotten to, does he like what I'm doing? He doesn't like what I'm doing. Is the price good? Is the price bad? Because that's one of the things. I'm just not a cheap date. You know, and that was one, one of the things, you know, I had to say to him, you know, Kurt, you're going to have to understand that this may not fit in the price point of your current realm of products, mm. you know. Um, but he seemed okay with that. But it's one thing to say you're okay with it in theory. It's another thing when you actually look at how much it costs and whether he thinks that the 724 consumer would be willing to buy it or not. I, I don't know. So I'm hoping that sometime in the future, I'm going to be able to make all of this happen and he'll be happy with it. Because mm. it, it's not that I don't want to do something for twins. Twin. It's just it's just kind of the way things work out. And the other thing, too, is, I mean, I'm book solid with these projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no less than 100 retailers in the country right now that want me to make something for them. Oh, it's sure. crazy. And on top of that, I keep making the same stuff over again. Because normally you make these like limited kind of things for a retailer and exclusive. And they typically just are kind of like a once and done kind of thing. So, like, I've done Firecracker twice for days. Doing it again for him this year. He ordered another batch of firecrackers. Mm -hmm. never, there's never been a single manufacturer that's ever ordered three times in a row from. I'm mm -hmm. going to be the first one. Mm -hmm. I've done three runs at Don Derma for Ronnie. I mean, who would ever think that a cigar that's okay unless you retrohale it would be something that people would actually be willing to buy? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and pay $16. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Look, it's a great cigar if you retro. It's amazing. If you don't retrohale it, it's it's good, it's decent, but it's not it's not thing really amazing. But when you retrohale it, it's fantastic. Mm. Um, the red meat lovers, I ended up doing that as a one-off project, and then I ended up repeating it. 
And now uh, I'm making it, I'm making another red meat lovers for a third year in a row. Mm. So I have these things that, you know, products that I think are like a once and done kind of thing. Uh, they just keep they, they just, just keep, keep having customers back. that actually want to buy it, buy it, which is a good thing. Don't get right. me wrong, but you don't think that that's the way it's going to work, you know. And right. most firecracker manufacturers they do one year and they move on. Mm. All right, one last question, Steve. I okay. I need I need I need you to. We've been talking a long time. It's been it's been over an hour. <laughs> you gotta settle something. You gotta, oh. you gotta you gotta settle something for Paul and I. You've gotta you gotta settle this debate. Oh man, what is it? Is man the sober Mesa brulee sugar tipped or not? No, no, it's definitely not. I mean, look, I can't prove a negative, but the best thing I can say to a consumer is Go buy a Sweet Jane or a Baccarat and put that in your mouth, and then put a Sober Mesa Brulee in your mouth, and tell me if you think the Sober Mesa Brulee is sweet tipped. You know, I don't know. I don't know what else to do other than to say that. I don't. It doesn't bother me that some people think it's sweet tipped. I'm constantly correcting it, but at the same time, if people like it and they think it's sweet tipped then I'm okay with it. If they like it and they don't think it's sweet tip, I'm okay with it. If there's people that don't buy it, even though they like it because they think it's sweet tip, well, then they're just idiots. I can't do anything <laughs> about that. Now, if you don't like it, then it doesn't matter whether it's sweet tip or not sweet tip. You shouldn't buy the damn thing anyways. Um, you in see fact, that, Paul? I was thinking about right. maybe somewhere. I mean, the thing, <laughs> what I would say to people about brulee is, don't smoke one. Just take up any box. Just take the take the cellophane off ten of them and put them in your mouth, and you're going to notice that the sweetness is uneven from cigar to cigar. And if that wasn't natural, I, I found some way to make ten different, you know, sweet tips that I'm randomly applying across these products, um, you know, because it's just not possible. Uh, it's just, uh, but in the end, yeah, I might someday actually, if depending on where the FDA heads, I might actually release a sweet tip version. <laughs> where I actually make yes. a sweet tip and, 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 and actually, and, you know, and actually just put on the box, you know, and then, you know, let everybody have, or, or maybe better than that, because I really don't really want to do it. Maybe I'll make a, a, <laughs> a five count sampler where, you know what I mean? Where, one of the five is sweet and the other four aren't and just put letters on them a through e and then let everybody decide which one's the sweet tip one in the package that might be interesting that would I actually I sell a lot of those yeah i mean you know but uh, i don't uh, but the question the question in the end is and the other thing too is, you know, this is a weird. So I'm a purist about what I like to smoke. Purist about what other people like. I mean, I'm not the arbiter of good taste. So people that most sweet Janes or Baccarats or Nat Sherman hosts or you know any of the acids or any of the Laratans, uh, Java. I mean, all those cigars have sweet tips on them. Absolutely. So there's yeah. definitely a consumer market for it. Definitely. For me, it's just a question of if it was sweet tip would be okay with telling consumers this is a sweet cigar i wouldn't 
I wouldn't have to hide it or be ashamed of it being sweet tip. Um, so, but in the end, people think it is, and it is. As long as you give me your money, I don't care. You can play it. <laughs> All right, Paul. I don't know about everybody else, but I'm just about at the end of my cigar here. Paul, yeah, me too. What, what's your final take on the uh, Unstolen Valor? Well, I got to tell you, Steve, this, this is has been the most. Because... What? What do you just say but good things? I mean, have you ever had anybody on the burger to get on the cigar really kind of sucked? I mean, how do you do that? That's a good point. That's a very good point, Steve. I mean, you're you're all going to say nice things, even if you don't leave them to be true. And so, I think it's, I think that whenever anybody says from this point forward, all consumers should discount. Go from there. Go ahead and talk how great it is. Well, how about, well, how about this as a critique for you? I'm going to say for me, for me, it's a really great cigar. It's well balanced, medium body, really great with the bourbon. It's absolutely fantastic with the bourbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, The old Forrester rye that Kendra uh, suggested. It's it's really good. The only problem that I have is with the price. Um, Unfortunately (laughs) for me, I'm a a cheapskate. My my pockets ain't that deep. Um, But it's a really good cigar. Would I buy it all the time? Probably not. My favorite cigar in your line is going to be the um, the Grand Buffalo, which used to be called the uh, Masusia. Um, that, for me, is an unbelievable cigar. Um, this is also a really yeah. good cigar. And I, you know, either what? That's the. 1395, if I remember right, right? 1375, yeah. 1395? Yeah. That's a that's a lot of cigar for the money, and it's unbelievable. That that for me feels like you're you know you're getting the heart and soul of Steve Saka. You know what I mean? Not that you haven't not that you haven't put you know, your soul in any, any other cigar. Cigar is in that I'm making that size for the tricky Traga this year too. Oh, really? That's gonna be <laughs> awesome. I can't wait to get my nice. lips around that yeah. one. <laughs> why am I not surprised? I think it's, <laughs> but, you but, like I'll, a I'll tell you why. Dark, long you know, cigar. A lot, of, a lot of my grand, a lot of my grand buffalo sales are courtesy of La Florida Minicon because yeah. and their inability to produce. So, they just take years. And the thing is, you're a bigger customer. And you like those really big cigars, really big, gigantic cigars. They're just kind of airballs. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't have a lot. They certainly don't have a lot of strength. So when you're a digger guy, you're 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 a digger guy. You really don't have any choices. So here on the shelf, uh, Grand Buffaloes do as a good as, as a digger. It's in the wheelhouse that a digger guy can appreciate ground yeah. And then what ends up happening is when the diggers come back in, most customers then become kind of both digger and grand buffaloes because grand buffalo gives them an alternative choice when before they didn't have an alternative choice to a digger. And so I think he trucked a version of it. I think that'll even that'll definitely be wet in that in those guys' house. They're gonna really like it. Yeah. So Paul, Paul, what were you going to say about the cigar? Good place for me. Uh, I was going to say it's been an incredibly enjoyable cigar. Uh, One of my favorites from your line, Steve. Uh, Just a great, great smoke. Uh, Very consistent. 
just well-balanced cigar, too. Uh, those earthy wood notes with the spice. The spice has definitely picked up. The intensity level has definitely picked up now that I'm almost down to pipe-worthy uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on the cigar. So it's just been really a great, great cigar. I am thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much for making it. Bree, what about Thanks. yourself? Um, for me, yeah. So as I had said originally, um, right off the bat, um, I was expecting it to be more than it was. Um, it's been very well balanced and very smooth. And I was almost starting to get scared that I wasn't going to get anything too much flavor wise from it. But now I'm starting to get some of the pepper slowly coming to the surface. Um, when you add the bourbon with it, um, I feel like the bourbon is more peppery, which kind of, um, balances the mild pepper in the cigar really well, actually. Um, so I, I think that even though this is technically a medium bodied smoke, um, if I were recommending this to somebody who, you know, is used to more mild cigars, I would even say that they could give this a try. It's, um, it's very well balanced. Interesting thing about blends. So I make a lot of what I would consider full bodied cigars. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of uber peppery cigars. I don't. I don't want to make sharp, biting style cigars. And a lot of that has to do with smoke. Um, I'm an addict. I smoke eight, ten cigars every single day. So as soon as I finish this, I check in my pocket for the next cigar. So I like cigars to be strong, satisfying, smoking them. But I always want them to leave me craving a little bit. And when I smoke something like a Digger or a La Florida Fizzle or a Roma Craft Neanderthal, it makes me feel like I got to take a bit of a break. And I don't want to take a bit of a break. It's just not. So even my strong cigars don't tend to be biting sharp cigars. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I don't really have anything in the portfolio that I would consider to be a real pepper bomb. I like that. You hear that, Nick? His cigars don't have bite. Oh, okay. <laughs> I never had out of, out of all. I've smoked all his cigars, and I've never had any any of that bite. I, I've always had <laughs> a little bit of. And you guys are gonna laugh because that's like my thing. But bite. I've never had any bite on his cigars. It's always that nice subtle pepper pepper note in the retro hail. Very mm-hmm. always very smooth cigar. Never never disappointed with uh smoking a sober mesa or a Mikadita or a tricky chocolate for that matter. Kendra, what do you think about your pairing tonight? How do you think this went? I think it went really well. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised that the the rye held up with the cigar and the flavors definitely were complimenting. And it sounds like you guys all were on the same page as me. So um, two thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree. This pairing, I think, really brought out a lot of good stuff in the cigar. Dave, what about yourself? Uh, I'm really enjoying the pairing. Again, you know, the potion mass that came through. Um, <laughs> I think this the cigar is absolutely completely enjoyable. My favorite is the retro hail. So you got got like this peppercorn thing that I just can't get over. Um I'm absolutely loving it. Two thumbs up for me, man. All right. Well, I love this cigar too. And it it, it is funny, Steve. I think this is my favorite uh, moisture de Saka and it's the one you didn't blend. 
So I don't know what that says. So lose, lose. My my favorite rocket tamale of the of the line. Rocket tamale is my favorite. That's a even good one even too. more than a unicorn. Not tamale better than unicorns. Really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, separate of the whole price factor and all the work that goes into a unicorn. Oh, but sure. If I had a choice between, if I had a choice, look, I still want to smoke a unicorn. But for me, is an occasional thing. Or a Nakatomali. I could smoke a Nakatomali every day. I like them a lot. Well, Steve, thanks for being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. You were awesome. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate you. Yeah, yeah thank Steve. you, Steve. Very much. No, no, no. Pleasure's all mine. All right, guys. Hopefully, uh, see you. We'll have you on again. Don't worry about it. You'll have Absolutely. another chance to, to share all things to the Steve. Store. With us. That would be great. I'm going to bounce out. Have a great, great night, everyone. Bye, Bye Steve. Steve. Thank Take you. Take it easy, brother. Take care. All right. Well, that was a really good interview there. And I oh, yeah, absolutely. Took the whole cigar. Took the whole thing. Pretty much. I had to put mine on my knife. Oh, on your knife? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a toothpick or uh, a matchstick, so mm -hmm. I got the next best thing. And uh, I think I'm now smoking the knife. Um, so. Now we're going to switch over to our pipe here. And be smoking a uh, blend from Gregory Pease called Jackknife Plug. Came out back in 2011, but it is a great, great uh, pipe tobacco. And from the tin, it says, dark-fired Kentucky leaf and ripe red Virginia tobaccos with their deep, earthy flavors are layered on a central core of golden flue-cured for a hint of bright sweetness, then pressed and matured in cakes, and finally cut into two-ounce blocks. Slice it thick and rub it out for ribbon cut, thin for shag, or chop it into cubes. The choice is yours. Excuse me. And then GLPs wrote some notes about this, too, that I was able to get. And this, of course, was back in 2011. He said, uh, excuse me. You're excused. He said, this one has been a long time coming. I've had more requests than I can count to make a plug and to make some stronger blends. There's something about playing with the tobacco, cutting it, rubbing it out, preparing it, and smoking that connects us more closely with the whole process. A plug like this can be slice thick or thin so the smoker gains complete control over the way it will pack and the way it will burn. It's quite rewarding. My favorite approach with jack with jackknife has been to slice it very thin, about 132nd of an inch, rub it completely into a fine shag, and then filling the pipe carefully, not packing too tightly, and that results in a wonderful, cool, effortless smoke, and the fine cut seems to enhance the sweetness of the Virginias and bring out the subtle, natural perfume of the dark-fired Kentucky leaf. 
Uh, GLPs is manufactured by Cornell and Deal. It's a Virginia and Burley blend. Uh, Dark Fired Kentucky and Virginia are the contents of this uh, blend here. No flavoring. It's a plug cut. And we have a drink that we've not really ever done before. We're, we're doing a coffee uh, tonight. You want to tell us what makes this coffee uh, a 724 special kind of thing? <laughs> so this is our Italiano coffee. It uh, It's special because it has Di Serono and Frangelico. So, you know, I think if you were to spike up a coffee, you'd go for the Irish typically. So something a little bit different, something that's going to come across a little stronger. Um, there's no Baileys in it. And um, it was my first thought when I tried this tobacco the other day. I was like, you know, this is really go good with a coffee, I think. so. Oh, yeah. This is a great coffee tobacco here. Um, what are our initial thoughts here on the Jack? <coughs> You're right, Danny. Uh, Hello, maybe, maybe I have the Rona. I don't know. I hope. What not. do we think? What do we think of the pairing and let's the, hear uh, from the tobacco? Chat. And let's uh, let's let's hear first Does from Dan. Have the Rona. <laughs> oh man! So I think this being my fifth tobacco blend that I've smoked. Um, what I'm liking about it is that um, I'm getting the smokiness that I mentioned that I like, but I'm also getting a little bit of a like mature sweetness kind of. It's, um, it's almost, I haven't taken a sip of my coffee yet, but I feel like it's going to pair well just because of the fact that, you know, coffee is bold and strong and then you add a little bit of sweetener but it's, it's kind of like a sweetness that has a little bit of wood behind it. And I think mm -hmm. that this tobacco is very indicative of that. Um, I'm getting almost like a slight like plum from it mm -hmm. uh, with a little bit of like mesquite campfire on the back of the tongue. So nothing about your grandfather's fishing trips not, the not this time and, no <laughs> or this is more like um you know we go on a camping trip and like grandma makes like a nice smoky cake i don't know <laughs> nice smoky. grandma makes a nice smoky cake yeah <laughs> are you heading into your log cabin brie oh i'm about to <clears throat> it's the season <laughs> kendra what about you what are your thoughts on the pairing here at the outset I think it reminds me more of like a ski trip. Sweat as a boots. Yeah, sitting by the fire with my pipe and my sweet mm. coffee. Yeah, mm. totally. Mm. Dave, what about yourself? Um, I'm really loving the pairing with the coffee because I'm kind of like a coffee whore. Um, <laughs> we <get> a <laughs> love every pairing we do, Dave. <laughs> Not every pairing. Um, we, In the beginning, I was not really, not not really up to snuff of my bourbons and whiskeys. So, um, which is a lot. I'm enjoying them a lot better now. Mm -hmm. um, well, I get like that a lot of sweet wood from the uh, from the pipe tobacco, and the pairing with like the coffee, I think, really brings out a really nutty quality in it. Mm -hmm. um, but I like how it's starting out. It's really nice. Paul. Well, I got to tell you right now, I'm a coffee purist, and uh, I I never I, I love my coffee. I, I love my coffee specifically in the morning, and uh, it's it's black, maybe just a little bit of 
coconut creamer, but uh, for the most part, I don't put anything spiked in there. I already told Kendra that if I can't sleep tonight, I'm blaming her. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I do have to admit, it is a very, very rich, uh, smooth coffee. Uh, the tobacco is uh, on its own. It's lots of that, that Virginia sweetness, the dried fruit, uh, some nice earthy wood notes as well, a little bit of spice. Uh, the coffee is bringing out more of the earthy wood notes for me. Uh, very, very nice. Very, very, uh, very, very good tobacco. Nick, what about you? Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm after this. I'm not a coffee drinker, so the coffee is going to keep me up pretty much through the night, and it's uh, I'm going to have be all nighter here. Um, but it brings out some really nice earthy tones with some nice sweetness alongside with it. It's brings me back to, you know, when my great grandmother used to give me her, her coffee. You're and I pulling used to drink a breeze. But for real, cause it, back when my great grandmother was alive, she used to drink black coffee all the time. And I used to get some from her and I used to put a ton of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, that's the only time that I drank it. And this kind of the, the coffee with the DiSerono, um, it kind of brings me back to that. So it's really nice to reminiscent about that. Mm -hmm. The tobacco really kind of doesn't really bring me back to anywhere, but it's, I would probably have to concur with, with Kendra about uh, almost like a ski trip type of feel in it. It's really, really nice. Really nice, sweet, earthy tones in there. A little bit of spice, a little bit of wood. Very, very, very nice. I like it. This would go really well with a hot toddy too. Oh yeah. This would go very well with something like that. Um, this is, to me, I, it's very rich. It's very dark, uh, earthy. There's this kind of uh, smoky sweetness to it that's really, really nice. Um, and and kind of going along the lines with what other people have said, you know, the first time I smoked this myself, I said, you know, this is the kind of thing where you really want to be kind of nestled in your nice leather chair in front of the fireplace and just having some of this to keep you warm. This is a great winter uh, smoke here. It's very, very nice. Um, definitely not an all day smoke. Um, medium plus, I think this is as far as strength goes. Um, but very, very nice. If you're looking for a, a stronger tobacco, that's not Latakia based. Um, this is definitely something that you might want to try. And I did, um, for the f first time, uh, having read GLP's uh, comments about how he cut it up, I really did try and cut it very, very finely, do the shag and and fill up the bowl. And uh, it's smoking very differently than I normally have it, which is I normally have it more of a traditional ribbon cut kind of a length um, or width, I should say. And um, it's amazing how things change when you cut the tobacco differently and um uh I, i'm really enjoying it a, a lot of times i'll take it and cube it and throw it in there like that and that burns slower and it burns a little bit longer and the flavors change a little bit more that way this way i think i'm getting more of the sweetness of the virginias 
um, out of this, and that's really enjoyable. I think the, the, the coffee is going very, very well with this. Coffee goes so well with almost every kind of tobacco, but um, especially this where the flavors are so dark and kind of naturally sweet, it really complements the, the coffee with the um, frangelica and everything in it. It's very, very good. Um, Paul, we are going to do our news segment with you uh, this time. And I know you have a story for us that you want to share and that I think we all might talk about a little bit after he's finished uh, updating us on what's going on in the industry right now. Sure. Well, folks, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about what the PCA uh, Convention and Trade Show, along with Venetian, was preparing to do for the upcoming trade show in July. But uh, it's been announced this week that the, uh, the Convention and Trade Show, which is the cigar industry's most important event on the calendar, has been canceled. What? Due to, yeah, mm -hmm. due, due to the corona COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, Scott Pierce, who is the executive director of the PCA, stated, after much deliberation and careful discussion of every aspect of our annual convention and trade show, the PCA board and the associate member advisory board have made a, the difficult decision to cancel our current events scheduled in July. The annual event is an important fixture in the premium tobacco industry, and we were very excited to bring the whole new experience to the industry this year. However, the public health and safety of our attendees, staff, and volunteers outweighed any other consideration on a collective decision-making process. Uh, even before the coronavirus pandemic, this year was already going to be trying for the Premier Cigar Association and its trade show. Back in January, don't forget, uh, four of the largest manufacturers, Altidus, Davidoff, Drew Estate, and General Cigar, announced that they would not be attending the event. Shortly after that, other companies such as Phillips and King uh, pulled out. Um, in short, uh, the trade show floor was actually going to be on track to look radically different even without the coronavirus pandemic. Now, those four manufacturers take up almost 20% of the trade floor, uh, trade floor space. Space, um, yeah, which is yeah. how they make a lot of the, the, the money, too, for, to Correct. put on the show. Yeah, and other companies were even talking about uh, cutting down their, their uh, footprint inside the convention center, too. So it really was on track to look completely different for those who were going to attend. Um, as recently as last week, uh, which, uh, which was less than 70 days out from the trade show, the PCA had yet to even uh, offer registration for the event, which would have further complicated the, uh, the overall process. Mm. Um, since April, Half Wheel, which is where the story came from, had surveyed over 200 listed exhibitors and determined that further dropouts were imminent. And this is really where I think uh, the story is going to go. Um, those exits were due to both health concerns as well as cigar manufacturers skeptical that the retail stores at the trade would provi wouldn't provide enough purchasing power to make it worthwhile. And that's because of the stay-at-home orders and as a result, cigar shops in most states were forced to either close their lounges or their stores outright. So, yeah. so no, uh, no PCA this year, which is uh, really sad. Yep, yep. That's, and you know, I I have, I have a feeling this had a, 
a lot to do with the fact that that retailers, you know, the whole point of the PCA was to get retailers and manufacturers together where they could where they could, you know, have direct contact with each other and take advantage of of uh, buying together and stuff like that. But when I, I really think in the end that for this year anyway, this is this is probably the best decision they could have made because the 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 trade show is not a cheap thing to do. It's not it doesn't occur at a convenient time of the year, you know, especially here in New England. Uh, summertime is the height of the business for the cigar industry uh, here in New England. And for the last several months, shops have had to struggle to stay open if they stayed open at all. So then to take all of that uh, capital and then throw it into going to the trade show, I think would not have made a whole lot of sense. So I, I, I have a feeling that there are a lot of stores that are maybe even breathing a sigh of relief. Um, I, I still think, and maybe Paul, you can, you can say something to this too. I have a feeling that a lot of these manufacturers are still going to offer um, uh, deals and things, you know, online and over the phone with, with customers without having the trade show going on. Um, And I think that'll be, I think that might be what kind of helps things get jump-started once stores are able to open again. I mean, we were really only able to open our doors to customers um, on, what was it? The 11th, the 11th of May was the first time we could actually have people back in the stores. So things are just beginning to to pop back out and stores are just beginning to open up again. So um, I think I think, you know, I I'm 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 happy that this is not something that uh, uh, owners now have to incorporate into thinking how are they going to operate in the middle of this? What what do you all think? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Dan. I think there is going to be a collective sigh of relief for the industry. Um, they even said, and I didn't mention it in the article, but it did say that they would be working with their retail partners to, uh, and they didn't get into detail, but they said they would definitely be working with them uh, probably through a remote uh, access or mm-hmm. other ways to, to create uh, the deals that they normally would be getting. Uh, without the travel and expense necessary to go out there. So just like we're, what we're doing here now, you know, to, to bring this show to our, to our listening audience, they're right. going to be doing very, very, something very, very similar uh, to their, their retail partners to help promote and create the deals that they normally get at the show. Right, right. Anybody else have anything they want to add to that? I feel like um, even though consistency is nice and even though like it's something that people look forward to every year, um, I almost think that um, having something like so rare almost makes it more worthwhile and that the following year's convention is going to be even greater just because of the fact that people are missing out on this year. And it's almost going to give people more time to come up with new ideas and to prepare and to really, you know, make the next event a great one. So yeah, I think the, that there's that to be said for 
Yep, that that's one big silver lining in the cloud here. I think that you know you have all that much more time to think about how to make the show um, enticing for retailers to come out to. Right. All right, guys, are you ready for this week's Would You Rather question? I'm ready, baby. You ready? All right, Nick, you you open your mouth first, so we're going to start with you. (laughs) All right? Hit me. Would you rather be able to lie and have no one know Mm. or be able to tell when someone else is lying? Hmm. (laughs) That's interesting. I'd probably go with being able to tell if somebody else is lying. I'd probably be, I'd probably have to go with that one. I thought you'd be be saying the other one, uh, Nick. I thought you'd be saying if you. No, (laughs) I I don't know. To call people out on their BS, man. There's a lot of people in the world that, Mm. you know, fluff the truth or don't tell the truth or tell you stories that are completely not even true and uh, I'd just be like, oh, no, that's a lie. That's BS. And just call them out on it and make and make them tell the truth. Is that because you're gullible? Yes, very. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen the show Lie to Me? No. Okay. No said. Uh, <laughs> David, what about you? Would you rather be able to lie and have nobody know or be able to tell when anyone is lying to you? Well, I feel like I've got a good bead on on what people are saying to me. You have a good bead? Most. Yeah, I'm good bead on what... It's an old painting term, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> good bead on whatever you people are saying to me. Today. You so, and your terms today. I feel like... I feel like... Uh, I, I probably, I'd probably go with, you know, being able to get away with a lie. Because, you know, at that point, it's like, I feel like I probably wouldn't be living at the same standard of living that I am now. I could be a lot, a lot more if I could just, you know, come out with all this stuff and people would just instantly believe it and be like, oh my God, that's amazing, you know? And I don't know. I think, I think I'd roll with it that way, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Kendra, I'm really (laughs) interested what your answer to this question might be. She wants to tell a lie. Tell us, whiskey loves me. Do you want to be able to lie or to know when people are lying? I think I'm already pretty good at knowing when people are lying, <laughs> especially my husband. Oh, that is your Beware, brother. Beware. His his nickname, and he he's very aware that his nickname is the master of lies. So, so I catch him every time. So. <laughs> so you'd rather you'd rather be wanting to lie to him and him not know since he's the master of lies. Yeah, I mean I'm a pretty bad liar. So <laughs> but I'm really good at seeing when other people are. So. Bree, what about yourself? All right. So I feel that um skill or not, skill is in whether you're good at lying, not good at lying. 
I would rather be able to tell when somebody's lying. So as somebody who is studying psychology, I do feel I have a good read on when people are lying. However, people are also very good at deceiving the common signs of lying. So I would like to just have the innate ability to be able to be like, you're lying and make a decision from there. Um, I like to live my life kind of as like a you know, this is my honest opinion. I don't really have a reason to lie and I probably shouldn't be lying anyway. So, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now let me ask you the same question. Have you ever seen the TV show lie to me? I've not. Okay. Mm, this so is very sad. interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> so Paul, what about yourself? Uh, I'm with Bree and Nick on this one. I'm, I'm, I would rather be able to tell when someone else is lying. Cause then just like they said, just call them out. Just, just be able to say, I know you're, you're, you're full of crap <laughs> and I have no problem pull, ca calling them out right on the spot. So, mm -hmm. All right. All right. Very, very interesting. Very interesting here. Um, now that we've had a few more minutes to talk about the pipe tobacco and things, what's, what's your, is, is the bowl changing at all? Are you getting any new flavors or anything like that? Bree, you're nodding your head. Why don't you tell us what's going on with you? So it's going to sound weirder than anything I've ever said before. No, you are. So are, you eating, are you lying? No, Bri? not, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I've been eating a lot of smoked salmon lately and I'm kind of getting not the fishiness, <laughs> no fishiness, but I'm getting a lot of um, the same type of smoke that I get from the smoked salmon. <laughs> Oh boy. If you, if you have smoked salmon, <laughs> but you take the like salmon out, yeah. that's the kind of smoke I'm just getting from that. <laughs> just it's the, kind of just like the a smoke. Crisp, a crisp and like mapley sweet smoke. Mm -hmm. So mesquite was the right word. Yeah. Mesquite. You're getting some mesquite from this. That's so I'm going to put that on a shirt. I'm going to put that on a shirt and wear it. <laughs> what? What on a shirt? <laughs> what, what are you going to put on the shirt, Nick? If you, it, it's like smoked salmon, but not. And have, and have no, it's just picture. salmon. Without, without the salmon. <laughs> it's like smoked salmon, but without the salmon. <laughs> You're right. Bree, that's, that's the most weird thing I've ever heard you say. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing fishy. Nothing <laughs> fishy. Paul. That's, that's Nick's new, uh, new, new line. Another day, another salmon. <laughs> I'm gonna get that instead. Another day, another salmon. Another day, another fish. Another day, another fish. The uh, the coffee is actually uh, kind of uh, not diluting. It's it's pulling it's it's pulling out more of the uh, smoky, earthy wood notes from the tobacco. It's it's. Uh, Pulling, so it's it's keeping the sweet uh, Virginias at bay a little bit. So, uh, but the tobacco on its own, I actually am getting a lot more sweetness from it without the coffee. I think it's really, really fantastic. David, what about yourself? Um, okay, Dave, actually, thank you. <laughs> Danny, let him talk. Huh? My God. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Good, brother. Dave, are you going to talk? I feel like the the coffee for me is kind of uh, drowning out the the taste of it. I've smoked it before, um, uh, and it was a lot of a lot of nuttiness, a little mesquite to it. Um, 
and it's like most of that I feel is like being drowned out by the by the coffee, and it's left me with just like the sweet wood and like a nuttiness kind of taste, almost like the haunted bookshop. Um, but uh, I think it's a good pairing. But I think, well, no, I I don't think it's a good pairing. I think it's a drink is drowning out is drowning out the tobacco. I'm gonna say with that. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, Dave, because we all knew you were lying. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy, um, Kendra, I, I I need to know what you think now. Oh what yeah, you think of, what do you think of Dave's comments? Do you think he's full of it? Do you think he's full of crap? Oh, you know what? Maybe Bree and I's uh, pairing is better because I'm gonna come clean on a lie. Bree and I are drinking decaf. Yeah, that's right. Oh, right. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you're drinking decaf, and we're drinking oh, wow. calf. Yeah, because we have to wake up an Instacart. So. Did you guys say something Gosh. in chat about us being like coffee liars or something like that? It was Burp. No, burp, my God. No, Kendra, Kendra texted me. She's like, bourbon? We're not drinking bourbon. We're drinking rye. <laughs> and then Bree goes on this whole thing about bourbon. I'm like, is she drinking bourbon? Like, what's going on? Bree and I have been drinking something completely different this whole time. Oh, yeah. My God. <laughs> Next show, I'm drinking my own drink. I'm drinking moonshine. <laughs> we should actually have one where, you know, we, we each have our own pairing and yeah, see how they compare. compare. Yeah. Mm. That'd be interesting to do. Mm. Yes, yes, considering it's happening anyway. Yes. <laughs> Master of Lies number two, right over here. My God. Oh, my goodness. Well, this has been one heck of a show. It's been one long, one long episode here. Um, next week, we're going to be smoking uh, Tatuajes. Uh, 2020 TAA release, um, which I'm very excited about. I've already had uh, a couple of those, and I'm excited to know what other people think here on the show. And we're also going to do a um, a bulk tobacco again that's doing very very well here at Twins that we want everybody to know about, and that is Haunted Bookshop by Cornell and Deal, and uh, that is a uh, Another Burley Virginia blend. Dark Fired Kentucky is a Burley, but it's been smoked. It's that's like it's been fire it's been fire cured. <laughs> salmon. It has not been fire cured over salmon. It has not been that's not there at all. <laughs> but but there is it. there is that smokiness to it. That's that's where it's coming from. And our pairing's uh, gotta be like Danny, salmon your, sushi. Your mic is cutting in and out, brother. What's that, your, Nick? Your your whole on my end. Your the whole left side of your body is completely gone, Nick. You, you right. look like right. an evil Teletubby. <laughs> Just that's what you it's going to be. About yourself. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. You want me to do? I don't know, Just man. Stop moving your arm. Stop moving your arm. There. I don't know. It's the camera, man. I don't know. It's you want me to do? Camera. It's it's. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Put those floodlights oh. on your face. Dude, I'm not putting the. They'll blind me, and I'm not going to be able to go into work in the morning. So, no. Uh huh. Well, there you have it, people. Another episode of not just blowing smoke, just down the tubes.
off the we rails, hope, baby. We hope you we hope you've enjoyed this episode and uh, pick up the uh, Tatuaje uh, TAA twenty twenty and some Cornell and Deal um, Haunted Bookshop for next week's show, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you then. Until then, stay safe, stay thankful. And stay smoky, my friends. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank another you. Another smoke, another day. Take it easy. Another, another salmon. You've been listening to Not Just Blowing Smoke, the podcast that brings the wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and keep in touch with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at NotJustBlowingSmoke. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that is Not Just Blowing Smoke. Rolling with the top down smoke.